Life Audio. Hello, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to counter anxiety and fear, big and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and experience soul, deep, emotional, and spiritual freedom, and we want to inspire you to share that freedom with others. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn about one of our upcoming events, how to book one of our speakers for your next event, or simply how to connect with us. Before we begin today's discussion, I wanted to share about a fun giveaway I am hosting in December. I will be selecting one person randomly from my newsletter subscriber list to receive a book bundle. In that bundle includes Stand in Confidence by Amanda Pittman, Remaining You While Raising Them, The Secret Art of Confident Motherhood by Allie Worthington, Rooted, A Girlfriend Gathering Study of Philippians by Becky Harling, Better Than Okay, Finding Hope and Healing After Your Marriage Ends by Brandy Wilson, and A Faith That Will Not Fail by Michelle Couchette. If you are not a subscriber, you still have time to subscribe to my newsletter and get in on the drawing. You can do so by visiting my website, Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and as some of you may know, I'm also one of the hosts of Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. And today, I thought you might enjoy hearing some Your Daily Bible Verse episodes on passages I've found helpful in quieting my fears and increasing my faith. The first comes from Exodus chapter 17, and it reminds me of my need to turn to and rely upon God when I feel overwhelmed and afraid. This episode begins with verse 11, which states, As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. It's hard to trust someone we don't know. Or maybe to phrase it differently, the more we know someone, assuming they're trustworthy, of course, the more we come to trust them. And one of the best ways to get to know someone is by doing life with them. Throughout the Exodus, as God led his people through desert places and and unexpected crises, his greatest work wasn't providing them with the water and the food that they needed. It wasn't defeating their enemies. As important as those things were for their survival, God was crafting his greatest, most beautiful, enduring work of all within human hearts. 
He was taking a group of oppressed and beaten down people. He was chiseling away at their orphan tendencies, their tendency to feel alone and fatherless, their tendency to feel as if they had to navigate life's challenges all on their own, relying on themselves. And he was teaching them to live as his dependent, loved, and sufficiently cared for children, a people group who would know who to turn to during times of crises. They needed to learn to run to God, to trust in and rely on his care, to keep their hands raised towards him. The incident surrounding today's verse occurred one month after God had liberated his people from slavery and oppression. So not a lot of time had passed for their worldview to shift. And the people's journey had not been easy or peaceful. In the span of 30 days, they had had to face their frailty and their morality on numerous occasions. They had had to face numerous situations that left them feeling powerless, when really, if left on their own, they never would have survived. And through every encounter, they caught a glimpse of their God, a God that many probably felt had long forgotten them, and the God that many of them had probably long forgotten. The God who revealed himself as their deliverer, their warrior savior, when he rescued them from their oppressors in Egypt, who revealed himself as their protector, when they found themselves trapped with a body of water on one side and a well-armed, well-trained army charging towards them on chariots on the other side. Terrified, the unarmed, the untrained Israelites felt certain they and their children were about to be slaughtered, and they would have been, if not for God. That was when they encountered the God of heaven's armies. He formed a cloud of darkness between them and their enemies. He parted the Red Sea so that all his people, the weakest and the slowest among them, could cross over on dry ground. And then God swept their enemies into the sea. Next, he led them into the wilderness, into the desert, to reveal himself as their attentive provider. He miraculously supplied the people with meat, with bread, and with water. Everything they would need to survive. These people who had maybe heard of God through stories passed on from one generation to the next, now they began to experience him personally in their times of greatest need. In the span of 30 days, they had personally encountered their deliverer, their protector, their defender, and their provider. Such powerful, undeniable truths. Truths they now needed to learn to live in, to rely on. And that's when we get to today's verse, which states, As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Moses had to keep his hands raised as a clear example of his dependence on God. This was a posture and a symbol of prayer and dependence. Victory came not through the Israelites' strength, through their power, through their strategic planning, but instead through their surrender. That was how they would survive every battle, with their arms raised in humbled obedience to and reliance on their deliverer, their protector, their defender, Almighty God. That can be a hard lesson to learn sometimes, can't it? It's one thing to know intellectually that God is our all-powerful, sovereign provider and protector. It can be super hard to live in those truths when we find ourselves in desert places or under attack. But That's how we experience the soul-deep peace that Jesus promised, by letting God be God in every area of our lives, just as the Israelites did in their battle against the Amalekites. And because of their reliance on God, they found victory. By letting God be God in every area of our lives. 
I feel like I need to repeat that to myself daily. I know my faith and my peace would dramatically increase if I learned to keep my arms consistently raised, figuratively speaking. In the next episode, I discuss one of my favorite passages of scripture. It records a time in Israel's history when the nation fell out of options and confused, unsure how to respond to a massive, potentially terminal threat. We begin with 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, which states, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that last line. God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's such an honest prayer, one that places us in a position to receive God's power, which he loves to display through our weakness. When we understand how truly weak we are, as King Jehoshaphat, the man who spoke today's verse did, that puts us in a position to receive God's power. So the king and his people, they were in a bad place. They were in a terrifying place. Shortly after initiating a sweeping religious reform throughout Judah, King Jehoshaphat learned that the Ammonites, the Moabites, and some Meunites had united to declare war against him and his people. According to Amos 1 verse 13, the Ammonite warriors were so vicious, they, quote, ripped open pregnant women in order to, quote, enlarge their border. And by the time King Jehoshaphat learned about this army, they had already reached En Gedi, which was only about 35 miles from Jerusalem. The king didn't have a whole lot of options. He and his people, they could maybe try to hide in caves in the clefts of mountains like they had back in Judges chapter 6 when the Midianites, the Malachites, and other eastern peoples invaded their country. Or maybe he could have fled to a neighboring country and tried to blend in. In a panic, he could have sent his commanders out to gather as many fighting men as they could find, although they would still be outnumbered, outskilled, and outmuscled. Or in the middle of his fear, before he took a single step forward, the king could pray. And that was precisely what he did. Second Chronicles 23 tells us, Alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Does that strike you? When facing a life or death situation for him and his nation, the king of Judah immediately turned to God in prayer. And he called all his people to do the same. What an example of godly and God-led leadership, God-led living. In that moment, he was showing everyone how to respond in times of crisis and what it looked like to live in faith, in complete dependence on God. And notice the result. Verse 4 states, The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Because King Jehoshaphat sought God in this moment of crisis, of terror, his people did as well. And then once they had all gathered, Scripture tells us the king stood in front of the courtyard and he prayed an incredibly powerful prayer. In his prayer, he first acknowledged and proclaimed God's sovereignty and limitless power, a power greater than their worst and most vicious and most numerous enemies, saying, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. And then in verses 7 and 8, he reminded God, and through this, the people of who they were to him, the men, women, children, and soldiers of Judah were God's chosen people, whom he had placed in and given the land that they now occupied, a land that ultimately God owned. 
Then he reminded himself and the people that God was with them, that God heard them stating in verse 9, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. And after all this, after remembering and proclaiming God's power, sovereignty, attentiveness, and presence, knowing that God would hear and respond, he ended with today's verse. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In other words, guide us, Lord. Tell us what to do here, and whatever it is, we'll do it because we trust you. And they did trust God. Upon his instructions, they set out early in the morning. They appointed men to sing praises to God, and they sent them out at the head of their army. That was God's battle plan, that the people led with praise, singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. With every step, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Although the word they used, his love, his hesed in the original Hebrew, it went so much deeper than our modern translations can convey. God's hesed is a merciful, fierce, compassionate, steadfast, enduring covenantal love. One that never grows weary, never fails, and never quits. God's love, God's hesed, was their armor and their defense. They advanced in power and in confidence, knowing almighty, all-knowing, sovereign creator God loved them, heard them, was with them, and would fight for them. And he did. Scripture says in verses 22 to 23, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So their enemies fought against one another. Not one of them escaped. And when we find ourselves in frightening situations, often our first response is to react or to flee. But what if we turn to God first? What if we sought him, trusting him to fight our enemies on our behalf, just like he did for the nation of Judah? And what if we fought our battles on our knees in praise? In the next episode, I discuss a verse that reminds us that when we make poor choices out of fear, we can always turn back to God in faith. Even timid faith with our pulse spiked, our palms sweaty, our knees weakened with fear. And God always responds, always responds with loving, faithful, present, and powerful grace. This episode begins with Second Chronicles 32 verses 7 to 8, which state, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Sometimes we can feel as if we're under attack, bombarded by opposition from every side. In times of crisis or stress, it's easy to fixate on our problems. Our courage grows, however, when we remember the power of the God who stands with us and who is always, always 
fighting on our behalf. When facing a fierce army that had already conquered numerous other nations, Israel in the north included, King Hezekiah reminded his people that their God was bigger and stronger and would fight on their behalf. We can read the full story in 2 Chronicles 32 and also 2 Kings 18 to 19, but to paraphrase, when King Hezekiah rose to the throne, he instituted nationwide reforms to purge the land of all the idols his father, an evil king, had prominently placed, most likely as a way to appease the Assyrians whom he had formed something of an alliance with. Well, King Hezekiah also refused to pay the king of Assyria the annual tribute his father had been paying. This did not make the Assyrians happy. In retaliation, the king of Assyria seized all of the fortified cities of Judah. Now, at the time, Assyria was the most powerful nation, and they were increasing their power and their territory one conquered city at a time. Frightened, King Hezekiah backpedaled and told the king of Assyria that he had done wrong and that he would pay whatever tribute that Assyria required if only they would withdraw their forces. While Assyria responded by demanding more than 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. Unfortunately, Hezekiah took the money not only from his palace treasury, but from the temple that he had just restored. Fear had caused the king who began his reign with committed faith to slip backwards. He temporarily lost sight of the power and the sovereignty of the God he served, the God who was watching over him and the nation of Judah. What's more, his efforts proved insufficient, and Assyria increased their terror campaign. Intentionally speaking doubt into the hearts of the people, Assyria said, in essence, why do you think your God could stand against us when the gods of all the other nations that we have conquered could not? Then, The king of Assyria claimed that Judah's God, the one true God, had actually told him to capture Judah. No doubt this escalated the fears of all the people who had been previously engaged in idol worship, making them fear that the gods had been angered by King Hezekiah's reforms. King Hezekiah responded by tearing his clothes and by entering the house of the Lord. And I found it interesting that scripture doesn't show him seeking God prior to this point, prior to sending the gold and the silver to Assyria. And yet, better late than never, as the saying goes, he sought God, and God promised to conquer Assyria. Now, this must have greatly encouraged him. The truth spoken by God himself annihilated the lies Assyria had tried to plant in the king's heart. But Assyria was relentless in their deception and their terror tactics. And this time they said that God had deceived the people of Judah. Now, notice, while this was very much a physical battle, it was ultimately a spiritual one. And this is true for every battle you and I will fight as well. And notice also how Assyria attacked Hezekiah and the people. First, he used fear. Fear is often our most defeating foe. It can cause us to react, to rely on ourselves and our wisdom, like Hezekiah initially did when he offered to pay whatever Assyria demanded. But then he wisely turned to Almighty, all-powerful God, the one who reigns supreme over all mankind, the king of Assyria and his mighty army included. And this leads us to another important truth. Spiritual battles are best fought through prayer. The dominant question was and is, who or what will we trust? Will we try to appease our fears as King Hezekiah initially did, or will we seek God? when we're afraid. And when God speaks truth related to our fears, when he reminds us of his promises to love and to care for us, 
Will we hold tight to those truths or will we waver when our fears persist? Unfortunately, we will have times when we waver, when doubts and fears we diligently fought with truth that we felt certain we'd conquered for good begin to rise up again. So what do we do in those times? Do we feed our fears until they've paralyzed us or caused us to compromise our faith? Will we determine that we failed? And in self-condemnation, distance ourselves from the God who loved us? Or will we remember that in Christ, we have been given grace upon grace, more grace than we could ever need, that we could ever exhaust? And anchored in grace, will we once again seek our loving, powerful, faithful God? King Hezekiah did the latter. Although he'd momentarily given in to fear, even after God had promised victory, he didn't stay in that place. Instead, he repented, which basically means he turned around. He turned back to the path of faith. He took the letter Assyria's messengers had presented, the one in which they'd claimed that God had deceived Judah, and he brought it, in essence his fears, to the throne of God. And once again, God reassured him that he indeed held the victory in his hands. And then he proved his words true in conquering Judah's powerful enemies. Second Chronicles 32 verse 22 states, So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all the others, and guided them on every side. Regarding this, David Guzik from the Enduring Word wrote, The unstoppable was stopped. The undefeated was defeated. And God fights our battles as well. He invites us to turn from our fears and to intentionally focus our thoughts on him, his promises, his power, and his truth. And when we mess up, when we give in to our fears, when we maybe begin to rely on ourselves, instead of beating ourselves up, instead of feeling guilty like we failed, he invites us to simply turn back to him and to rely on faith once again. I was asked to speak to a group of women in agriculture on the next verse, and so I spent considerable time praying through it, studying it, and all the history surrounding it. And that was such a rich, intimate time with my Lord who longs to see me and you live unafraid. Daily, he speaks these words to our soul, recorded in Joshua 1.9, which says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How do you tend to feel when accepting a new assignment or role, especially one that feels particularly significant or consequential? Maybe your boss asks you to launch a new team or to find a solution to an expensive problem, one with the capacity to save the company from collapsing, therefore saving numerous jobs in the process. Or maybe you feel called to launch a small business a new ministry, or to return to school after two or three decades of no school, no classroom experience. Each of those situations can leave us feeling ill-equipped, inadequate, and insecure. And the more we focus on ourselves, on our abilities, experiences, and limitations, the more anxious and uncertain we feel. Our fears begin to die, and our godly confidence grows, however, when we shift our focus off of ourselves and place it squarely on the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. The person who places their trust in Christ finds in him everything they need to do everything he's asked. God reminds us of this truth throughout scripture, stating again and again, just like he did with his servant Joshua, do not be afraid, adding, 
for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That promise, originally spoken to Joshua, Israel's leader, it must have brought him such comfort. Encouragement that he clearly needed based on the amount of times that God repeated himself. So this was right before God's people were about to enter the land that he had long promised them. A land that scripture tells us was flowing with milk and honey, meaning lush vegetation. But it was also filled with numerous people groups who were much stronger and more established than the Israelites. So it was filled with the Amorites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Canaanites. These were evil, cruel, and vicious people groups who would not take lightly to the Israelites encroaching upon their land. Plus, Moses, the man that God had used to liberate his people from 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians, he wouldn't be coming. He was passing on his leadership to Joshua. And think about this. So, so Joshua's predecessor was the man that scripture refers to when it states in Deuteronomy 34 verse 10, there has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. How would you like to be following in those shoes? And like I said, God was passing the baton of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Those were some huge, ginormous, overwhelming shoes, or well, sandals to fill. And the task ahead of him was huge. It was impossible from a human standpoint, not only because of the conflict Joshua and his men would soon face, but also because of who Joshua would be leading. The Israelites were known to be a complaining, stiff-necked, fear-driven people who had rebelled against God and God's chosen leader numerous times, to the point that Moses feared that they were going to stone him. And Joshua had seen all of that. His task would be challenging. It would be humbling, frustrating. And based on the number of times God told him personally or through Moses not to be afraid, it would be frightening. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, toward the end of his leadership, Moses addressed the nation in verse 3 stating, and this is the New Living Translation, but the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy the nations living there and you will take possession of the land. Joshua will lead you across the river just as the Lord promised. God would be faithful to fulfill everything he promised. He would go ahead of his people. He himself would conquer their enemies and everything that stood in their way. And then in verse 6 we read, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. In verse 7, speaking specifically to Joshua, Moses repeated, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them. This encouragement was repeated so many times. Again in verse 23, which reads, Then the Lord commissioned Joshua, son of Nun, with these words, Be strong and courageous, for you must bring the people of Israel into the land I swore to give them. I will be with you. And then again, once Moses had died and Joshua was about to launch God-assigned military campaigns, God told him in Joshua 1 verses 5 to 7, No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. And then he stated for the fourth time, Be strong and courageous, adding, For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to your ancestors I would give them. Saying for the fifth time, but with emphasis, be strong and very courageous. And then again in verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
How many times did he need to repeat that? Apparently numerous. And it's just like he's emphasizing this promise again and again, saying to Joshua, hold tight to this truth. Don't forget it. And when I read those verses, I'm just struck by the promises that God made and by his heart to repeat them. He promised his presence, his faithfulness, his protection, his provision, stating again and again, I will be with you. I will go ahead of you. I will give you this land. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And no one can stand against you. God makes those same promises to us. The God of creation the sovereign Lord of heaven's armies, the one who with unfathomable power and perfect wisdom promises to stand beside us, to go before us, to live within us. He will perfect everything that concerns us. Therefore, with God by our side, we know we can approach any challenge with confidence, knowing as Romans 8 verse 31 states, if God is for us, who can be against us? That is perhaps the most encouraging truth you and I will ever hear. Our God is with us always. He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He will fulfill everything he's promised. I hope those nuggets of truth encouraged you. You may want to take some time this coming week to read each of those passages we discussed. Exodus 17, 2 Chronicles 20, 2 Chronicles 32, and Joshua chapter 9. One of these days, I really want to turn my presentation on Joshua 1.9 into a short Bible study to include as a freebie for my newsletter subscribers. I like to increase the content that I make available to them in their subscribers' exclusive folder. I'd love to share those resources with you as well. Visit my website to subscribe. And as always, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, then you won't miss a single episode. Share it with your friends, and until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.